Hello, comic creators. Welcome back to the Comics Connection podcast. We took a little spring break for a couple of weeks, not necessarily because of fun in the sun or anything like that, but because we were at conventions doing like important comic book stuff. Uh, Andy, how how was your trips? How are you doing? It's good. Uh, went to C two E two, and then I did take a vacation, but uh, I did not go to a sunny place. I went to Columbus, Ohio, which a lot of people don't realize is the uh, the epitome of vacation destination. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you have Paris, you have like Tokyo, and then you have Columbus, Ohio. So everybody yep. knows that. So yeah, that's that's a known okay. thing. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, did you have a good time? Yeah, I had a great time. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Went to Ohio State with my son. We checked it out. It's huge. So okay. there you go. Okay. There you go. Well, see, news that you're not going to get anywhere else except the Commerce Connection uh podcast. The first thing we need to do is we need to actually um, recognize and pay homage to a luminary that we lost, Mr. Al Jaffe of Mad Magazine back cover fame, um, passed away this week at the age of 102. Now, for all of you who are not aware of Mad Magazine and the particular impact that he had, Mad Magazine for decades had a feature called the fold in back cover which was designed to actually tell two stories simultaneously one story would be like you look at the back cover and it would give you an image and you know give you a certain perspective but then if you fold it over the cover into thirds you would get a completely different often much more subversive um progressive message in that folded over page and he was the mr jaffe was the first person to do that and to this day i think Andy, you can correct me if i'm wrong the only person to do that because i don't think that's being done now on any level by anyone in comics no i don't i don't think so i mean probably there's some people that did like a one-off here or there it's like a fun thing but yeah i mean he and he did it for he did it for decades like i mean literally decades he did hundreds of them yeah, probably thousands. And I will actually admit, when I used to read Mad Magazine, probably between 8 and 15 years old, I was not even smart enough to fold over the, the, the page correctly to understand what it was he was talking about. And when I did fold over the page, a lot of times, I didn't get the message because I was 11 and I had no idea what it was that he was talking about. But it is still a, a pioneering thing that he did, especially for the length of time that he did it. And I believe, Andy, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first major comic book um, creator that we have lost in 2023? Uh, I'm not, like, keeping a running count, but, yeah, 2022 was really rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, But, yeah, I can't, I don't recall anyone off the top of my head. I might feel really bad about that later, but. Uh, but yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Al's a, Al's a big well, you, deal. I mean, he did he did it all the way through the end of Mad Magazine, which was not that long ago. Yeah, it was 2020. What I think the the last book that he that was came out with his work in it, announcing his retirement. He, I mean, the man was 102. The idea that anybody's doing comics that long, because I think he started 
he was, from what I read in his, his um obit, he was one of the first people to go to one of the major art high schools in the country. And he came up with people like Will Eisner and Stan Lee and, you know, a lot of the people that we regard as like the foundations of modern comics. And he did a lot longer than those guys did. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I still look at those and I don't, I don't, I don't know how your brain like makes that happen. Like, how do you draw that illustration knowing it's going to fold over and like, I mean, I, I think I could figure out like kind of how he did it, like what he would draw and stuff, but still to, to do that with such regularity and, and, and be so clever. And like you said, so subversive about it, which was mm-hmm. one of the, the high watermarks of Mad Magazine. And yeah. 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 So clearly a lot amazing. of Yep. A lot of respect to him, uh, but it was a, a good life with a lot of impact. Um, we will be talking about other people who also had a lot of impact, not necessarily as positive. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, the other thing is we had haven't had a um, podcast for a few weeks because, like I said, we were traveling. You were at uh, C2E2 and I was at Megacon. So how did the show go for you from a professional perspective in terms of what it is that you wanted to get done? Uh, it went really well. Um, uh, we had, I had a bunch of panels. Those all seemed well attended. People seemed engaged. Um, so that was really good. And I think we, we gave a lot of really good concrete info and insight out uh, to people. Which one of the nice things about conventions is like, it's a great place to go to get you can speak a little bit more candidly in person than like, you know, on a podcast, it just goes out to anybody. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we're quite candid for the podcast, but, um, but, you know, sometimes there are things that are unpleasant that I probably wouldn't talk about on the podcast, like publicly, but in person and, you know, that kind of thing, we could, we could talk about those things a little bit more easily sometimes. So that's one of the benefits, um, hopefully for a lot of people that, met us there and and uh and came to our panels and we chatted with afterwards um i wanted to meet with a bunch of creators which i did um some of them were people i've worked with a, a ton in the past or you know ons but the printing business is is printing with them so i just wanted to touch base get some facetime did all that um and um and wanted to make some meet some new creators did that yeah it was really good um the other thing that I think I wanted to do was also just get a sense of how much I felt like C2E2 was bouncing back from the pandemic. C2E2 was the last convention I went to before the major shutdown. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went to it uh, last year and it didn't feel didn't feel like it bounced back. This year, there were a, there were a lot of people there. Um, Artist Alley, I think, was really was really happening and and artists were doing well there the Mm -hmm. ones i talked to seemed to be having good shows um so that was really great what was interesting is that there was a lot of business happening on the rest of the show floor too but there were um there were not really any major publishers there no marvel no dc no image no dark horse no boom no idw no oni or lion forge um i don't recall seeing like tokyo pop or um you know any kind of webtoons presence um Mm -hmm. so it was just interesting i mean it felt there was energy there it felt like felt like people were having a good time and we're glad there um one person stopped me 
in the middle of the thing was like, where's the Marvel booth? I'm like, they're not here. He's like, oh, that's weird. Like, that was it. Like, people didn't seem really, like, upset that those places weren't there. Um, but it was it was weird. Like, there was a good energy there. And then also, like, those things that, like, you know, as somebody in comics, I, I go to a comic show going, where are all the publishers? But your hmm. general people coming in seemed totally fine not having the publishers there because those that were into comics wanted to go to the wanted to go to the comic retailers and wanted to go see the creators for the most part i mean everybody has fun doing the photo op or whatever at the at the various bigger booths but yeah it didn't seem didn't seem to to beat c2e2 down at all yeah i think going to well one of the things that i actually realized in terms of like you said conventions coming back was that there were there are so many conventions that because the convention organizers do not coordinate with each other so many conventions happening at the same time so like megacon and c2e2 and mocha fest and i think one or two others all happened on the same weekend and like you i got to megacon megacon was very well attended I was there for like two days, but the major, those publishers that you mentioned, they weren't at the show either. Um, I mean, a lot of, there were a lot of their creators were there. There was a lot of their fans were there, but those, those publishers themselves were not there. And I, and I think like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they may have come to the conclusion that the return on investment that they get from actually attending the show doesn't actually justify the show itself it's also an idea that the shows might be they might be swinging back to what they were pre-90s like for all of you who may have not been going to the shows for that long comic book conventions used to be primarily about comic books and the comic book creators there was a lot of retailers selling comics there were a lot of artists selling comics, but it wasn't like the vast media spectacle that, you know, people were used to in the 2000s, 2010s. And we might be going back to that where people need to go, especially if you're an emerging or independent publisher, you need to go to conventions to meet with your audience face-to-face, make new business connections, meet with retailers, meet with a lot of other people because comics is such a isolated kind of creative activity but the you don't necessarily need the huge booth you don't necessarily need all of the conventions can exist and thrive without like this without marvel having like a you know three thousand square foot booth basically i think that's where we are yeah i think i think you might be right um it's interesting like i think i've mentioned them before but source point press built their business model on conventions so before they were before they were listing their books and diamond and lunar and all that sort of stuff they were a convention based business and they did like 50 something shows a year sometimes they were doing two shows at the same weekend but they built a business where they could survive they could they could be profitable off of convention sales alone. And then they went to the distributors. Most other publishers go the other way. CEX is a good example. We went distribution first. And now I'm like, okay, well, when we get enough content, when I have enough higher price books, like trade paperbacks and hardcovers and stuff like that, then maybe I can make my money back on a table at at a convention. But the convention prices over the last 10 years have just been going up, up, up. And Mm -hmm. like, 
you know, if you keep going up every year and I can keep making more money at a convention each year, but I can never catch up with you as you keep going up, then, right. you know, and, but yeah, you're right. I mean, and I, and there might be, a, there will be a way that publishers will find a way to capitalize on that if, it, if the shift has gone that way. And it could be as simple as, uh, you know what, a CX, I don't have to show up. But what I should do mm. is have CX exclusive books that I profit share in that go with the creators and they sell that exclusive book or whatever at their Exactly. At their exactly. Yeah. Because that's what a lot of what I saw going through Artist Alley, especially like the established um, creators, they would have their books that they did, you know, exclusive covers on or whatever, and they would be there to sign them. And the things that we talked about in, I mean, just two weeks ago, we had a class on freelance, hiring freelance talent. And one of the incentives that you can give freelance talent is let them buy the books that they work on at a discount because the more entrepreneurial freelancers will take those books. Let's say it's instead of a $4 book, you sell it to them for $2. They'll go to a convention, they'll sign it, they'll sell it for like $10, $15. And that can be a compensation incentive that along with their page rate and whatever royalties you decide to give them incentivizes them to kind of work on your books but only if you're working with creators that have the, that kind of that already have that kind of system in place if somebody's just drawing books and they don't have a convention presence and they're not doing that kind of thing it's not going to work but if you specifically seek out creators who are have that kind of side hustle then it's good for them. It's good for you. And you don't necessarily have to go to the convention because your books are already at the convention. You already sold them because the creator already bought them. So it's something to think about. Right. Now, the last story that actually bubbled up while we were away was the end of a one of the most significant eras in North American comics. Um, Ike Perlmutter, who purchased... Marvel back in the 90s when it was going through bankruptcy um, and survived in as the owner of Marvel up until two weeks ago when he was um, unceremoniously laid off for uh, what was referred to as cost-cutting measures. Um, from a technical standpoint, the division that he ran, Marvel Entertainment, was dissolved. And Marvel and all of their intellectual property and all their assets were more formally folded into Disney because Marvel entertainment did not exist. They did not need a CEO of a division that doesn't exist. And therefore Ike who got a very nice, um, ridiculously large exit package was removed from Marvel. Now the official announcement was that he was laid off as a cost saving measure because the idea is that, Disney is saving $4 billion by getting rid of all of those people, including Ike, is only a small, from my perspective, only a small part of the story. Because Ike, since Disney bought Marvel, has, has given Marvel, Disney a lot of grief, to put it succinctly, over the past 10, 15 <laughs> years. Um, so they were, I guess they were kind of looking for a way to divest themselves of this individual and i know when i announced when i put put the post that ike was um removed from marvel there was a lot of um how do i put this diplomatically 
people seem pleased. Let's just put it that way. Um, Andy, you and I both worked for this individual. This was like decades ago, but you and I both worked for this individual and nothing has actually changed from my understanding, especially if you read the latest Wall Street Journal um, puff piece that he did. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on the removal of Ike from Marvel and Disney? Um, I, I mean, I understand that Ike was the largest single shareholder, like single person shareholder. Yes. I think there are some, some companies or entities that may have larger shares, but, uh, that makes him somebody you can't, that I guess Disney can't just like, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have, they yes. have to give it some sort of pretense or whatever, but even so, it surprises me that it took the 10 or 15 years, whatever it's been, for them to do this. Because he seems like he had been a thorn in their side. And probably the thing is, is he was more or less, I mean, I may be oversimplifying this, or trying to orchestrate like a corporate takeover sort of thing on the board. He was trying to yes. get his people elected to the board. He wanted to get rid of, uh, wanted to get rid of Iger, you know, and then Bob Iger's not going to let that happen. So... That may that may have been the final, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back where they're like, all right, finally, we're going to have to do this. But the thing that as a comic book fan or industry professional, whatever, the thing that I look at is like, what's the impact of this going to be on Marvel comics? Like I, yes. like they're movie studio, whatever, but like, I want to know what's happening to the comics, what changes for mm-hmm. the creators, what changes for the editorial, what's the approval process, licensing, whatever, like that's, that's what I'm interested in. And my read of that article was that the only thing that changed operationally for Marvel comics, the comics division was that uh, the publisher, Dan Buckley was reporting to Ike and to Kevin Feige, the head of uh, Marvel studios. Mm -hmm. So essentially now he's just reporting to Kevin Feige. So, it seems to me that the only real difference is that um, probably Mr. Buckley um, has an ulcer that is shrinking now because he's not being torn between two bosses. Like, like probably his life just got simpler is probably what mm-hmm. happened. Now, I don't know how Buckley and Feige get along, presumably pretty well, because Buckley's been there for since since I was there. I'd, had Buckley come in by the time... Before you left, no, Buckley came in about right two years after I left because when I was there, Bill was still there. So okay, yeah, yeah, and I, and I I really think think quite highly of of Dan. Um, so if if he has less grief to deal with, I think that is great. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. structurally, it seems like you know for the reporting tree, it all went up to Dan, and then Dan went to those two guys. I don't think anything changed for Kevin Feige, like above him structurally. So, mm. so it seems to me that now Dan reports to one person instead of two. Generally speaking, that tends to be better. Yes, uh, especially if the two people you're reporting to have wildly different management styles, philosophies, and goals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so it seems to me like now there may be some differences in terms of like who's doing the licensing work, but I think a lot of that mm-hmm. had already folded into like Disney proper. Yes. Anyway, but I, I could be mistaken, but it seems like probably not a lot is changing for Marvel Comics. It, it really just feels like they just kind of did just sort of peel 
peel this off and it went mm -hmm. away um i think my favorite headline that i've seen has the picture of bob Iger. have you seen the one where it's a picture of bob, bob Iger and he's like infinity gauntlet disintegrating away mm -hmm. yeah that's my yeah, favorite. well yes that, that is yes the, the the ike picture with him being snapped away is yeah, that, the, that is, is my the favorite thing that came picture. out of this yeah but yeah, I don't think well, it really is going to be that different for Marvel Comics. But I mean, I could be wrong. You know, they well, they may snap their fingers and change everything. So, well, it is like the I think we are not really going to see the impact of this change for another year and a half, two years, only because large organizations like Disney and Marvel that have a complex reporting structure have to like plan out their the change incrementally. So whatever was in the pipeline now is still in the pipeline. And I doubt you're going to have like a whole lot of things being like canceled or shifted or anything else. But I do believe 2025, maybe late 2024, there's going to be more um, integration between whatever is happening on the comic book side and whatever is going to go on with the films, TV, video games, all of that will be more more integrated than it is now. But for if we're talking about independent and emerging comic book publishers and what they should actually learn from these things that are basically mega con on mega conglomerate levels, the it all boils down to the same the same fundamental lesson in terms of investment. If someone comes into your company and they're saying they're going to invest in it or they're going to help you build the company or they're providing any kind of financial or management oversight, you have to understand what it is their goals are and what it is their business philosophy is. Because if, if you're bringing in somebody who's going to, you know, on the short term, yes, they're going to provide, they might provide some money, they might provide some distribution assistance, they might provide, you might be a creator own kind of situation you're working with another publisher but if their goal if they spend a lot of their time like fishing paper clips out of the garbage can then and you're trying to build like a long-term comic book company that may not actually make sense if your partner is the kind of person that only wants to save money and doesn't want to make money and your goal is to actually build a business that makes money it doesn't make a lot of sense. So the, the future of your company and what direction it goes in, not just financially, but creatively, will all be defined by who's involved in the business. So it's not enough. I mean, it's hard enough to find someone willing to invest in a comic book company, especially in 2023, when a lot of people are pulling their money out of comic book companies. But if you are in a position where you find someone willing to put money in, you really need to get take a long, hard look at what it is that they're looking to get out of it, what it is that they're going to do when they're there, and not just assume they're going to hand you a bag of money to let you go do whatever you feel like doing, and they're just going to sit around and twiddle their thumbs. Because that never happens. Yeah, that never happens. I came into Marvel, it was the mid-90s. We're now talking three decades later. And you can argue there's been a lot of positive developments in terms of Marvel's reach when you talk about licensing and you're talking about brand recognition and you're talking about all this other kind of stuff. But 
there, there were some growing pains and some headaches of a monumental level that have reverberated through the industry for decades and will probably continue for the next few years, if not longer, because at that point, Marvel didn't really have a, a lot of choices in what they were going to do because they were bankrupt. But if you're in a position where you do have a choice, be very strategic and specific about that choice. Otherwise, bad things could happen. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said any of that better myself, which is why you said it. Yeah, yeah, that's why you keep me around. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, Andy, what's the next um, convention appearance that you have? Uh, Well, right now I'm talking about Heroes Con. I'm potentially going to go to Heroes Con and do some panels there. We're talking with them. Um, and then uh, probably San Diego after that. Okay. All right. I'm going to be um the Schomburg Center here in New York is having their 11th annual convention this Friday, Saturday. And I'm going to be doing a panel on Friday afternoon with TJ Sterling and Althea Martinez and quite a few other people talking about building a career in sequential art. I believe that convention is free. If So if you're in New York this weekend and you want to check it out, please join us. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of the Comics Connection podcast. But if you'd actually like to join Comics Connection or any of the classes that Comics Experience Workshop is offering, all that information will be available in the show notes. So until the next time, have fun with your comics.